If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn to John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. I think it necessary sometimes to diverge from our theme uh, to focus on the gospel. Uh, this church, and my vision for this church is for it to be a church saturated with the gospel. Saturated with gospel teaching. And although we will preach things uh, from time to time that will be necessary for the growth and the progression of our lives as believers in Jesus. So that's why we've been focusing on prayer. And I can't begin to tell you how God is, has helped me and enriched my life as far as my time alone with the Lord in prayer as, as I've experienced over the last few weeks uh, as we focused in on prayer. But we oftentimes will need to be head on in our focus on the gospel. Because if there's anything that a believer needs, it's not just a sinner that needs the gospel, it is us. We need to be reminded of what the gospel is and how important and never lose sight of if we are saved, if we do know the Lord, what God has done within us by the gospel. And you know Spurgeon, and they were, uh, I think it was Spurgeon that, was, that, made, that emphasized a lot often to preach the gospel to yourselves. It's important for us to make sure, make our calling and election sure, preach that gospel to ourselves. And so we're going to look at something that Jesus taught that I believe is echoed throughout the New Testament, and that is the new birth. And I want to speak to you this morning on the necessity, the absolute necessity of the new birth. And we find that teaching in John chapter number 3, in verses 1 through 16. So I'll read our text here. John chapter 3, verse number 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that, that, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Mar do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, 
things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because of his writings and inventions, Benjamin Franklin was probably one of the most famous people of his day. As a result, many people wrote letters to him and corresponded regularly with Benjamin Franklin. Probably one of the most important uh, letters Franklin ever received was sent uh, to him by the great revival preacher George Whitfield. Of course, George Whitfield in the history of our nation uh, has basically entrenched his name uh, years before uh, uh, the infancy of our nation in the early uh, 1700s. Uh, 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 George Whitfield in his revival meetings, in his revival campaigns, uh, really brought about a lot of what we see in that first great awakening in our nation. And so George Whitfield uh, wrote a letter to Benjamin Franklin, uh, this famous man at the time. And here's what George Whitfield said. He said that, I find you grow more and more famous in the learned world as you have made such progress in investigating investigating the mysteries of electricity. I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important and interesting study and when mastered will richly repay you for your pain. In his letter, Whitfield is referring to one of the most theological, uh, significant theological passages in the New Testament. And to many, one of its most mysterious truths. I'm talking about the new birth that Jesus brings forth to Nicodemus in John chapter number 3. Jesus said to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now the wording that Jesus uses concerning the new birth is not isolated in this one part of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the, the New Testament refers to the new birth on more than this one passage of Scripture. For example, the Apostle Peter in his description of some of the characteristics of the believer, says this in 1 Peter 1.23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Here, Peter, he, he references Christians as being born again. Not of perishable seed, that would be the biological aspect of the first birth, the natural birth, but of the spiritual birth, which is by the Word of God. Then there are similar terms used elsewhere. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Listen to what the Apostle John wrote. But to all who did receive Him who believe in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. Listen to this. Who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here, John does the same thing here in his teaching about the new birth. It is not by the will of the flesh, which, which would be on account of that natural birth, that, uh, that, that, that natural course of events biologically for a child to be born. No, this is of the will of God. Also in the little book of John, John the Apostle also writes of the phrase being born of God several times. I won't read them all, but 1 John 4, 7 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. Here, John uses it in one verse, twice over, born of God. 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It is a theme for John, this birth, this new birth. But it's also referenced by James, the brother of Jesus. Listen to what he said as he hints at this same theme of being born of God. James 1.18 says, Of his own will, that is God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That phrase, brought us forth, comes from that same idea of being begotten or being born. It is, it is a representation or a phrase that indicates a bringing forth in birth. This is not an isolated theme to just John chapter number 3, but it's littered all throughout the New Testament. And in many cases we find the new birth referred to as being born of God. And this is the new birth that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and said that he must have it. He has to be born again. Now Nicodemus came to Jesus commending him. Did you see how Nicodemus was really buttering Jesus up? You know, that's how, that's how things were done in the religious world. You butter up teachers, you... You warm up to them. He says, oh, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus responds by telling him, do you want to talk about knowing God? You can't even know the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. You can't even see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. It is of the utmost importance that you and I realize that we must possess the new birth. You must be born again. If you're going to obfuscate, if you're going to pass through the judgment of God upon sin, then you must be born again. It is of the utmost importance. And what is true for Nicodemus is true for every one of us. You must be born again. Now even though the new birth is somewhat a mystery, we can draw three conclusions from this verse. I'm going to give you three things that we can know about the new birth. It's very hard to describe in many cases. It's very subjective in the way it is experienced. The new birth. It's not always absolutely consistent. I was, I was born again driving down the road with my eyes wide open. I, wasn't, I didn't have my hands folded in prayer in an altar while a choir sings just as I am. 
I was born again driving down the road. You may well have been born again in a church service at an altar. You may have been born again at a breakfast table or a luncheon with a friend. I don't know. It has its different myriads and facets of times and, and occasions in which it takes place. But it must take place in every person that will, that will find themselves uh, outside or not incurring the judgment of God. These three conclusions that I'm about to bring up could mean the difference between eternal delight and everlasting dread. It could mean the difference between unending peace and unquenchable pain. Or heaven and even hell. It's the difference between the two. Whether you have had the new birth or not means the difference in all of eternity. So let's talk about this for a few minutes. And I think the first thing we can pick up on in what Jesus is talking about is that the new birth has nothing to do with our stature. Our stature. If we can learn anything by what Jesus is saying in these verses, we can learn that our new birth has nothing with our personal stature in life. Whatever your stature may be in this world. Whatever your standing you may possess among family, friends, or your career, or, or your, uh, your uh, uh, acquaintances, or clubs, or, or associations. Your standing as far as God is concerned, whether you're born again or not born again, has nothing to do with your societal stature. We know this because of the man that came to see Jesus in John chapter 3. When it comes to stature, there are very few higher than this man Nicodemus. This tells us that no matter whom we are or where we come from, whether we're upper crust, middle crust, lower crust, or no crust, <laughs> we, we all must be born again. Notice, first of all, we know that it has, it's not your reputation that means something about being born again. In verse number 1, it said Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This phrase indicates that he was a member of what is called the Sanhedrin, the ruling body in Israel, both culturally and religiously. It was almost like, it was almost like Nicodemus was a Supreme Court justice, so to speak. They were... Uh, the Sanhedrin is a, is a Hebrew word indicating the 70. And you'll go all the way back to the teaching of Moses and how that God instructed Moses to set aside 70 men. That is the infancy of this Sanhedrin, this ruling party uh, culturally and religiously. Remember, Jewish culture, uh, Jewish religion and culture were blended fully together, all right? In the way that they live, we're, we're used to a somewhat of a separation between church and state here in our nation. It was not so in Israel. The two were together. The ruling body and the religious body, both culturally and religiously, were bound together in that Jewish world. And so Nicodemus would have been seen as somewhat of a celebrity, somewhat of high standing as being part of this Sanhedrin. Only the most educated and important men would have had the privilege of sitting on this Sanhedrin council. Nicodemus was a member of that. And in fact, there is evidence in some historians of that time that his family 
was selected by the officials to represent the nation of Israel. Some indication that maybe his family had been uh, somewhat of an emissary to other countries to represent Israel, the people of God, somewhat like an ambassador. So you could see that Nicodemus' family had a very high standing in Israel. Everybody would have known Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man of no small reputation. When he walked down the street, uh, no doubt people would recognize him and stop to talk to him. And yet for all of his renown and all of his respect, you know, he comes to Jesus and he's laying it on. Oh, we know you're come from God. And Jesus basically says, Nicodemus, you don't know what you're talking about. Unless you have been born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You don't know anything about God, Nicodemus. You see, you can have a high standing. Maybe among your friends. Maybe among your peers. Maybe among your family, your neighborhood, your, your neighborhood associations, your, your local townspeople and, and ruling. You may have a high standing and be admirable and people looking up to you, but the reality is that has no bearing on you being born again. You're still on the outside looking in when it comes to the new birth. I like what one preacher said, and it is so true, although it's horrifying to realize that there is a high rise in hell full of respectable sinners. Of people that have never been born again and reside in hell in this day they might have had a high standing in the community. They might have had a lot of pull politically or financially with the bank or with the investors or, or with the company. But in reality, they didn't know God. They weren't born again and they find themselves in a lake of fire. It's not, it has nothing to do with your reputation. It doesn't have anything to do with your riches. Tradition tells us that Nicodemus was one of the three richest men in Jerusalem. And his name was a prominent family name in that same city. Wealth and prominence, you know, they kind of go together, don't they? We see that a lot in the political world. I mean, you know, a lot of these politicians, they say they fight for the little man and they represent the little man, but the reality is they ain't been a little man for a very, very long time. Long-time politician and former Secretary of State John Kerry is known for his large personal wealth of $198.8 million. Former governor of Massachusetts and now Republican senator from Utah, Mitt Romney, has a net worth of $230 million. Al Gore, the former vice president of the United States and a former senator, has accumulated some $300 million in net worth. You know... Political power and financial uh, prosperity seem to kind of go hand in hand. No doubt Nicodemus was very, a very wealthy man. And, and we can see this at the death of Jesus. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but Nicodemus became a, a, uh, a secret disciple, so to speak, of Jesus. He was on the Sanhedrin and a, yet a follower of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus had died, it was Nicodemus uh, that was, was able uh, to buy much of the aloes and the expensive myrrh, the preservation materials that were used 
on dead bodies of wealthy people. He contrib- Jesus didn't have nothing. He didn't have anything, no wealth, nothing of his own, save a, a garment that they took and they gambled for at the cross. He had nothing. And yet this man, Nicodemus, he produced all of these wonderful spices and herbs for the burial of the Lord Jesus. He was a wealthy man as he, as he was, uh, and, and yet as wealthy as he was, Jesus tells him, you are sadly lacking in something. Jesus tells him, you've got to be born again. You've got to have something that's outside of yourself. No matter how wealthy you are today, no matter how poor you are today. A lot of people think it's the opposite end of the spectrum. Just because they are poor means that that they've been... uh, that they've garnered the favor of God, that they're guaranteed of heaven. That's not the case at all. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. You must be born again. Luke 12 tells us of the foolish man's soul that was required of him. Oh, he said, I'll build barns. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And he didn't know that God was saying, tonight your soul will be required of him. He wasn't born again. Luke 16, the rich man who who sumptuous, who is uh, lavishly sumptured on food and, and daily clothed himself in the best robes, that man split hell wide open because he wasn't born again. He was a wealthy man, and yet he still went to hell. Your reputation, it doesn't mean anything when it comes to the new birth. Your, your riches don't mean anything when it comes to the new birth. Uh, neither does your religion. You know... We learn from these opening lines that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Go back to verse number 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. We find out he was a Pharisee. Now oftentimes we think of a Pharisee as a complete hypocrite. Jesus taught that. And no doubt in many of the cases that was the situation. They would say one thing with their mouth and do something completely else, else with their actions. But that wasn't the case in all of the Pharisees. Pharisees were devout, Bible-believing Jews. They would have been called the fundamentalists, the starch religious conservatives of their day. They were ultra-believing in the miracles of the Old Testament. You read uh, uh, the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and how uh, in one of the trials of Paul, There was the Sadducees on one side and the Pharisees on the other and both of them wanted to convict Paul. They both of them hated Paul. And then Paul said, well, I'm being charged because I believe in the resurrection. You would have thought he set off a bomb in the middle of the room because the Sadducees the Sadducees didn't believe the resurrection. The Pharisees, I'm not pointing at you, Grayson. The Pharisees, the Pharisees over here, they believed in the resurrection. And so automatically, the Pharisees jumped up in Paul's defense, and the Sadducees started arguing with them, and a fight broke out between the amongst them. But they were the believers of miracles. They were believers of, of, of the great God of Israel. And so no doubt, no doubt, No doubt Nicodemus was a sincere man. I don't doubt that. I think he came with questions of sincerity. I think his buttering up of Jesus in that opening statement is just part of his tradition in dealing with any man of, of, of of a religious caliber or a teacher of the time. But I believe he came with some serious questions as to what Jesus was teaching. 
But these people, the Pharisees, were experts in the Scripture. and the, They were the theologians and teachers of the law. And yet Jesus says, you do not have all the answers, Nicodemus. It wasn't just a few seconds into their conversation that Nicodemus is puzzled. What do you mean? What do you mean by a new birth? Listen. Joining a church, being baptized in and of itself will not do. Knowing the Bible, reciting Scripture, doing certain things for in and around the church does not guarantee that you are born again. It's something beyond that. It has something more to do than just your religion. You must be born again. You see, it has nothing to do with our stature. If we can draw anything from Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, we know that being born again has nothing to do with a high stature or even a low stature. And notice, second of all, knowledge has nothing to do with our stature, but it has something to do with the Spirit. Jesus, as He's talking to Nicodemus, He goes in and begins to talk about the Spirit. He said in verse number 3, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? I mean, just in the middle of conversation, he's lost his ball in high weight. How can this be? A man be born when he is old. Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb? And then Jesus begins to teach more further. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. You know this born again term, it's, it's really kind of entrenched itself in our culture around us. I remember back in the, early, uh, back in the late 70's and 80's, around that time period, uh, many of the headlines had a lot to do with several high-profile people claiming to be born again. A lot of people had questions, and a lot of people used and threw around that term born again a lot. Chuck Colson, who was sent to prison for his part in the Watergate scandal of the Nixon administration, wrote a book telling about his conversion experience when he was in prison. And the book was called Born Again. Shortly thereafter, Jimmy Carter, who was running for president at the time, said that he had had an experience which he described as being born again. Obviously, keying off these terms that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about. The question that is always surrounded the term being born again is, what are they talking about? What do you mean born again? And that's what Nicodemus asked. Does a man just... Kind of, does he crawl back into his mother's womb and be born again? How is that possible, Jesus? What are you talking about? Well, Jesus makes it very obvious here. Because he begins to talk about spiritual truth, not physical. He draws a distinction between that which is physical and that which is spiritual. Notice, first of all, in this something having to do with the spirit, He said it's likened to physical birth. Physical birth. Jesus said, truly, truly, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, uh, Jesus here is uh, 
is, is beginning to shed light on, on what he's talking about here. Now there's no shortage of controversy when it comes to these verses. Many have taken the words of Jesus, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit, to mean that a person cannot be born again unless they are baptized physically in water and also born again, uh, saved spiritually uh, by God's salvation. But look at verse number 6 again. I want to look at it very closely. How Jesus follows the water and the Spirit up. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now if we follow the lines of Jesus' teaching, what He said in the preceding verse, that which is born of water, is to compare to, in the next verse, that which is born of flesh. So what is He talking about here? Well, I believe that there is a correspondence. The first half of verse number... Let's see, the first half of verse number 6, or excuse me, first part of verse number 5, is to compare to be compared to the first part of verse number 6. So if that is the case, if that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit, then verse number 6 sheds light on what he's meaning on verse number 5. You see, a lot of people think that that water there means water baptism, like what we're going to do to Kaylin in coming days. We'll baptize her in the, in the baptistry up here. But, but in reality, that's not what it's talking about. What it is talking about here is a fleshly birth and that it is talking about that ambionic fluid that is released just prior uh, to the birth of, of, of a child. Uh, you know as well as I do that uh, in the running or in the, in the pregnancy when the baby's about to come, you know what, what happens? All of a sudden there is a release of that ambionic fluid and that's what oh buddy, the contractions here. We got to get to the hospital. You know what I'm talking about? I believe clearly that that's what Jesus is referring to and that's what Nicodemus would have readily recognized. That water is an emblem of that physical birth. That is a fleshly birth. That's part of that, that water birth. The water of being the embryonic fluid. That water that comes forth just prior to physical birth. And then when he goes, he says, that which is born of the water compares to the flesh. That which is born of water, flesh is of flesh. And then there's the birth of the Spirit. Uh, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The second half of the verse of verse 5 compares to the verse number 6. It is a spiritual birth. It's not a physical birth. He answers Nicodemus' question. Nicodemus asked, somehow do we get back in our mother's room and be born again? And Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, that which is of flesh is of flesh. That embryonic fluid, that natural course of birth is a fleshly birth. This is a spiritual birth. It's different. It's not the same. It's comparatively, it can be compared, but it's not the same. The second birth is by the means of the Spirit of God. Just as drastic as physical birth is, so as drastic as spiritual birth. Just as it is with physical birth, so it is with spiritual birth. A life was not there. I remember when... Uh, thinking my son just turned 21 years old. I've been all kinds of nostalgic thinking about my son being a baby and thinking about being back in that, uh, in that room at Women's East Pavilion the day that my son was born. 
And uh, uh, thinking about, you know, we went into that room and Carrie's all, you know, very pregnant. And, you know, what, and then we, we go in that room as two and we come out of that room as three. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there, there, was, there wasn't life to begin with. There wasn't another human being there. And then after we left, there was new life there. There was someone else there with us. The same it is with spiritual birth. There was not life one moment, and then there was life in the next moment. It's just, that's what happened with me. March of 20th, 1994, as a 21-year-old college student, I'm driving home from Chattanooga on my way back to Southern Tech. I just went through a spring break, and a lot can be said at this moment about the influences and what God was doing in my heart and life. But to say the least, when I got in that car in Chattanooga to drive to Marietta, Georgia, I was one person dead in trespasses and sin. I did not know God. My eyes were blinded to the things of God. And when I arrived at the parking lot at Southern Tech and opened that door, I was a different person. My eyes had been opened. God had changed my heart and life. That's what being born again. That's being born. It's a change. It's a drastic moment. It's something that takes place in our lives. You read the, the history of C.S. Lewis. How many of you know C.S. Lewis? He's the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and a lot. He was a, a, a literary critic, a very high, thoughtful person as far as uh, when it comes to the scholastic world, an Oxford teacher, professor at Oxford, a very smart man. And if you'll read his biography, there's a period of about five years where God begins to work on the heart of C.S. Lewis in bringing him to saving faith. A five-year period where there are times where it seems like the light is being turned on more and more and more. But there is a distinct moment. You read in the writings of C.S. Lewis, there was a distinct moment. He talks about being in a sidecar on a motorcycle with someone else driving down the road on the way to the college, I believe. And somewhere along that path, he crossed the line from unbelief to belief in Jesus Christ as the one Savior and Lord. There comes a moment. Don't tell me you've been born again all your life. Don't tell me you've always been saved because that's not what Jesus is talking about. There was a moment when there wasn't life and there was a moment where there was life. Just like a baby's born, it's not there one moment, it is there the next moment. So it is with the child of God. They weren't there one moment, they are there the next moment. It is something that takes place in the course of our life, in our cognizant thinking on the things of God. It may have happened when as a small boy, as it did with Grace and a little older child, as with Kalen, or it may have happened like it did when I was 21, or others late in life. They come to faith in Jesus Christ, but there is always, always, always a before and an after. And that is by the Spirit of God. It is a spiritual Birth. It's something that takes place, not physically, but spiritually. Someone could be sitting on these pews thinking about what I'm talking about and could pass from death to life. From unbelief to belief. From not being born again 
to possessing the new birth. Do you understand? And we would never know it. Lights wouldn't flicker, you know. They wouldn't jump up and do cartwheels, not necessarily. It could happen without us ever recognizing. Why? Because it's by the Spirit of God. The new birth is not something you do. It is something God, through the Spirit of God alone, can do in us. Notice, second of all, it's likened to physical birth. It's likened to a felt breeze. Jesus says, in even more enigmatic phrases, do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. Listen to what he says. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I can see Nicodemus' eyes get about as big as silver dollars. A look of perplexity comes across his face. And then Jesus responds with this, with this talk about the wind moving and not being seen. Nicodemus no doubt believed that if he went to the temple regularly, that if he followed the codified law of God, that he would be okay with God. But Jesus says, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. Jesus says, you, you must have what you possibly cannot construct of your own. And that's what it is about the wind. You can't make wind. Nobody, nobody can cause the winds to slow or to speed up. Nobody can cause the winds to go around one place and to dodge another place or to be or to be directed by men's hands. It goes where it will. It does what it wants to do. You must have what you possibly could not make for yourself. You must be born of the Spirit of God. Then he describes this Spirit as a breeze. Look at verse number 8. He says that it can't be controlled. It blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You can't control the wind. You can't see the wind. All you can see are the effects that the wind results into. You think about here late in the summer, August, September, we'll enter that hurricane season, you know. And, and every year it happens. There'll be hurricanes that'll come around those Florida peninsulas and in the Gulf of Mexico. And, and always people love to see that reporter risking life and limb. Well, Bob... The winds are 60 miles an hour here and I'm barely hanging on. But as you can see, uh, trees are... You know, you'll see the palm trees being bent down like this and, and you'll see debris being tossed behind him and he's barely hanging on for his dear life. You, but you never see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. You see what the wind does, but you never see the wind. You never see it. It's powerful, and yet we never see it. You see, the result, you only see the results of the wind. When a person is born of God, the impact is seen in the resulting change in a person's life by the powerful presence of the Spirit of God. You see the change when it takes place. You, you see the results of the visitation of the Spirit of God. Listen, I, I, I'm not... I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. There's a streak of sin and self that runs through me that I have to fight every day. But before I was saved, before I came to know Jesus Christ, 
I was one of the most cocky, arrogant, spiteful individuals. I still got a little streak of spite. Y'all pray for me. I got to fix it. I got to get the Lord to fix that. But, but I, you, you just talk about one of the most I, I, spiteful, hateful, and especially when it came to the things of religion. I hated going to church. I didn't want to have anything to do with those. But I, if I was home, man, I made sure I went because I needed to put on the airs with my parents. They needed to see me in church. So I wouldn't get all kinds of questions as to why I wasn't going to church. And, uh, but when I got out of that car, there was an earnest desire to tell the people that had prayed for me, that had loved me, what God had done in my heart. I'll never forget, I was, I was on Facebook the other day, and a, uh, an old teammate of mine at Southern Tech, Jabbar Dozier, he posted a picture of this bald guy with his face kind of turned, and he told someone else, hey, that's Clay. And I said, hey, is that, is that Clay Davis? And he's like, yeah, that's Clay Davis. I said, man, I've been looking for him for years. Please tell him. I said, hello. Clay Davis was one of my best friends in this one year I was at college. We were tight. He was my good buddy. And, uh, but Clay, I remember when I came back to Southern Tech and I got out of that parking lot, I had my bag on my shoulder, and I'm running upstairs, and I'm, I'm crying. I'm, I'm, listen, not everybody cries when they come to faith in Jesus. I'm not saying that. But I was broken, weeping, going up the stairs. Well, as I'm going up the stairs, Clay Davis is coming down the stairs. And he's like, Ronnie, what's wrong with you? Is everything okay? And I, I grabbed Clay, you know, he's like six foot eight, he's a big old tall guy. I grabbed him practically around the waist and I said, Clay Davis, I just got saved. Never in a million years would I ever say that to one of my college buddies had not God's Spirit done something inside of me. I do not know to this day what compelled me to tell my friend what had just taken place in my heart and life, other than the presence of God's Spirit inside of me. I'm not perfect by any means, and I do not want to put myself in a, as a pedestal on a pedestal in front of you, but I do say this. You may not see the wind, but you'll see the results of the wind. You'll see what the Spirit of God does in someone's life as a result of His presence. Listen. Being born again has nothing to do with our stature in society and what we own, what we have, who we are. It has something to do with the Spirit. And I've not fully really described it. To be honest with you, it's hard to describe the Spirit's work in salvation. You look at conviction and, and the drawing to Jesus and how the Spirit points us to Christ and our need of Christ, that wooing of God by His Spirit. There's so much to be described there. And Jesus is somewhat vague in what He says, but we know this, it has something to do with the Spirit of God. And I want to enforce this, it has something to do with the Spirit of God, therefore it can happen at any time. And it cannot happen in another time. There's been a lot of people I've talked to about the things of God in their lifetime that, well, you know, when it comes right, you know, when I got to straighten, that's what I used to tell myself. Man, when, when I'm out of high school, I'll get things right with God and I'll get all that settled. Right now, I've, I've got too much on the line, man. My reputation for being too cool is too good for me to mess it up with any kind of religious stuff. And then when I got into college, I'm like, hey, man, listen, I, I don't have to straighten up and fly right. I can do what I want to do right now. I'm having a good time. Everything's going all right. 
I'm having a party scene, man. I'm just, I'm having a great time. When I get married and I got to straighten up and be a parent and be a respectable person, then I'll get right with God. And I kept kicking that can down the road. Kept kicking that can down the road. Hey, listen, you're not in control of that. You don't know. The Spirit of God may be dealing with you right now, and that may be the last time He has. My spirit will not always strive with man. The Bible says in the book of Genesis how that He strove with men. He won't always strive with you. He won't always uh, deal and convict and draw. Respond today as time is of the essence. Come to Jesus right now. Don't put it off. You don't know when the Spirit of God won't be because it has everything to do with the Spirit of God. It has something to do with the Spirit. Last of all, it has everything to do with the Son. Jesus begins to go in and get very specific about what it means to be born again. In verse number 9, the great teacher and theologian Jesus says, uh, this great theologian and uh, this great teacher and theologian of Jesus' day says, how can these things be? Warren Wiersbe is quoted as saying, Nicodemus came by night and he was still in the dark. He could not understand the new birth even after Jesus had explained it to him. End quote. Jesus continues his explanation and this time not focusing on the activity of the new birth but the author of the new birth. How does the new birth take place? He may be talking about the Spirit and how the Spirit, this is a spiritual birth. This is something that the Spirit of God does. It's not natural. It's not physical, Nicodemus. It's something the Spirit of God does. But then he begins to talk about the author of the new birth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Notice, first of all, he talks about his descent. In verses 9 through 13, Jesus gives somewhat of a rebuke to Nicodemus. Look at verse number, uh, number 9. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you not, do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus basically gives a rebuke. He pinpoints the problem. Nicodemus' problem was not that he didn't understand, but that he didn't believe. It wasn't that Nicodemus was confused. He was unwilling to believe what Jesus was telling him. Look at verses 11 through 12. He says, Truly I say unto you, we speak what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can I tell you? Uh, how, can I, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Nicodemus has spent all of his life looking into the heavens, seeking to know God and to please God. But Jesus flat tells him, how, how, tells him what you have been looking up to is what I came down from. Look at verse number 13. No one has ascended into heaven except, the, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus says, you've been looking up into the heavens wanting to know God, and God has sent me to Him, to you, and you won't believe me. Uh, what you knew, Jesus is saying, what you knew, know of revelation, I know of relationship. When Jesus speaks, He's not giving His best estimation of what He thinks might be beyond this world. He is giving us all certainty of the truth of God because He came from God. 
Jesus is not making theological deductions based on Old Testament passages like some sort of guru or teacher of Old Testament. He's speaking of first-hand experience. I came from the Father. I know what you're looking for, what you're looking to. I'm from Him. I've come down to you. He talks about His descent. He talks about His death. Look at the verse number 14. As the Moses, was li- Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in Him may have eternal, uh, eternal life. Jesus is referring back to Numbers 21. It would be a story that uh, Nicodemus would be well familiar with. Numbers 21, the children of Israel basically boils it down. They've sinned against God. God, The Bible says that God sent in fiery serpents among them to bite the children of Israel. And they begin to die and to be bitten and to suffer venomous bites. And at the, at the direction of God, the, pe- the people cried out to Moses. And Moses cried out to God. And God directs him, take a, take a, a bronze Uh, take a piece of bronze and beat it into the form of a serpent, a snake, and mount it on a pole and lift it up for all the people to see. And all the news went out the camp. If you'll just look to the serpent, if you'll look to the brazen serpent, you can be saved from the death of the bite of these serpents. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, that just like that serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The, the, the analogy, the picture is, is unmistakable. The lifting up is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus is saying, if I, when I be lifted up, men, women, boys and girls can be saved from the deadly bite of sin by looking at me in faith. And that is exactly what happened some 2,000 years ago. During the time of Nicodemus, Jesus was lifted up on that old cross and to pay the ransom debt that you and I owed to the righteousness of God. Jesus died on that cross and to become the one that could save us from the bite of sin. On the cross, Jesus became cursed so that you and I could be blessed. Believe, Nicodemus. If you're here today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've not come to faith in Him, believe on Him. Don't stay where Nicodemus is, not necessarily blinded and in the, and in the, in the dark. Nicodemus could see this, but he would not believe at that time. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Put your trust in Him today. The new birth, being born from above, can happen today. And it will happen to you in a moment's notice if you will place your faith and trust in Jesus. If you will look to Him in His death, burial, and resurrection as to be our remedy, our replacement for the sin debt that we rightfully owe to God. His descent, His death, finally His demonstration. Look at verse 16. So much could be said. This unfathomable well of truth for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Story goes, there's a man sitting on a train train station reading his Bible. And when a skeptic passed by, the skeptic began to deride him, annoyed by this man reading his Bible at the train station publicly. Finally he stopped, he said, you don't believe everything that book tells you, do you? The man looked up to him and replied, you know, to be perfectly honest, 
I have to admit, I found one particular verse hard, hard to believe. I thought so, says the critic. And so tell me which one it is. Point it out to me. What is the one that you really just can't believe? The man turned over to John 3.16 and said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is really hard to believe that God would give His Son to be on the cross for our sin. God loved us so much that He would sacrifice His Son in order to save our souls. On the cross that Jesus died for our sins and took upon Him the curse of sin, making a way of salvation, a means of the new birth. The new birth comes by faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. John 3.16 rings out with the glory of the gospel. Jesus died in the chroma cross in demonstration of God's love. Romans 5, 6-8 echoes the same thing. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. Jesus died in our place, was buried, rose again on the third day. Just like Nicodemus, you need new life today. If you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow as it is appointed a man once to die, Hebrews 9.27 says, and after that the judgment. There is a judgment day coming, a day marked on the calendar that you know not of. In just a matter of a month, I buried a 20-year-old and an 80-year-old that I used to pastor. Both of them had dates on the calendar. One of them was very near and one of them was very far away. You don't know when your date is up. You don't know when you'll be called to answer like that rich man. Be called. Your, 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 your own soul will be required of that. You don't know when that happen will take place. It's best to know Him today. To come to faith in Jesus Christ. To be born again. How do you be born again? By coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Is it something physical that you get the shakes and you roll over and froth at the mouth? No! It's something of the Spirit. The Spirit may manifest itself in the physical part of the body. That's not to be to say. I don't know. I cried. I squalled driving down the road. It may not manifest that way in you, in you in coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's a spiritual thing that takes place. It is the change in our hearts and lives that takes place. John Wesley, the former, the founder of Methodism, was conducting a revival in one of the Methodist chapels back in the 18th century. On his first night of the revival, he preached on the subject, you must be born again. The second night, he chose as his subject the very same thing. You must be born again. The third night, he spoke on the same subject. You must be born again. On the fourth night, he did the same thing. Four nights in a row. Each message rich in its importance of the new birth. 
on the fifth night, one of the stewards of the chapel came up to him and said, Mr. Wesley, I have noticed that every night of this revival meeting, you have spoken of the same subject. You must be born again. Mr. Wesley, why are you speaking every night on the subject? You must be born again. And with a piercing gaze into his eyes and a look of urgency on his face, Mr. Wesley said, because sir, you must be born again. You must be born again lest you face the judgment of God for all your sin. Listen very closely. When the Lord Jesus said you must be born again, He's not talking about something that is optional. He didn't say you should be born again. He said you must. If you would see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Jesus is not making a suggestion. He's not giving a hint. He's talking about something that is an absolute necessity. To sum up what we've talked about, here's my final thought. The new birth is not something we do for ourselves, but it is something done within us by the Spirit of God when we turn to Jesus, trusting in His death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. To be honest, I cannot explain the new birth. I wish, I wish there was a way that we could understand in the mind what takes place when the spiritual conversion happens. There is something that happened in my mind. I changed my mind. That's what repentance is. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I changed my mind. And in that change of mind, a new birth took place. A new mindset took place. A new belief. I didn't, I didn't say I understood everything. I said my mind changed. The new birth. One moment I was darkened. And the next minute I could see. I once was blind, but now I see. There was darkness at one side, there was light at the other. Did I understand it all? No, as a babe appears through the eyes, newborn eyes, he doesn't understand everything. But where there was once darkness, now there's light. If you're here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, I beg you, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. The good news that God loved you so much that He gave His only Son to live a perfect life, die ridiculed and terrorized on the cross, to be buried in a tomb, and physically, verifiably, unquestionably was raised on the third day. Believe on Jesus. Believe on Jesus before it's too late. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today, and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm not going to get you to wiggle an elbow or raise a hand. I'm going to beg you to come know Jesus Christ. Believe on Him today. If you're here and you do know Him, you say, Brother Ronnie, I know what you're talking about. I could not in a thousand years really explain what happened, but I know it happened. I know I changed. I know my mind changed. I may not be able to live it out all the time, but something happened inside of me. Worship God in this moment. Glorify.
Glorify Him for what He's done in your heart and life. Endeavor to recommit yourself to daily live out that gospel in your everyday experience. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you for the Lord Jesus. I pray. I pray for those that may be in this room without the Lord Jesus. They've never come to Christ in saving faith. We pray that they would come and know you today. God, for us that do know you, I pray that you would take us by the hand and that you would walk us down memory's lane. God, that you'd take me back to that dove gray Mustang with its, with its red interior. And God, would you remind me how that I drive, was driving down I-75 and at that point near Barrett Parkway as the freeway dipped in it. God, it was at that moment I turned to faith in you after long conviction, after long pleadings of my, uh, with my heart by the Spirit of God, I believed in you. I reached out with a hand of faith and you changed my heart and life. God, remind us of our new birth. Let us never forget it. God, I pray you take these gospel truths and emphasize them in our hearts and lives and let us endeavor to live and preach that gospel to ourselves every day. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. We're going to sing a hymn. If you would like to respond, these altars are open. I'll meet you with a Bible. and I'll share with you the best I can from God's Word how you can know you're saved, how you can know you've been born again. But you respond, page number 354, I surrender all. 354, there is a part of our salvation in which we surrender in belief to the Lord Jesus. We stop our running, we stop our refusing, and we yield to Him. I surrender all. Brother Roger. One, maybe two verses, and then we'll move on. I surrender all. You respond. Maybe there at your seat, recommit yourself to following Jesus anew and afresh.